Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And welcome back to Cave of the Cross Apologetics, where we're going through uh, Nancy Piercy's book, uh, uh, Finding Truth, Five Principles for Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. So if you haven't been with us before, I don't know why you're starting with this episode, but, uh, you know, we, we've, we've done a couple other books before. And so what we do is we kind of go through a book and you're, you're in our book club with us and we kind of break down uh, maybe some of the harder topics or some of the uh, terminology or just uh, kind of the flow of logic for uh, these books on philosophy or um, uh, theology or apologetics or whatever we might decide to go over. And so uh, hopefully you'll join us and um, pick up Nancy Piercy's book. And uh, uh, we're right in the middle of kind of the, the principles. Or we, ju- we just started with the first one. So we identified the idols. Uh, and so we're, we're wanting to identify uh, someone's worldview in order to answer against that, that worldview, something that's the, the non-Christian worldview. Uh, because as Christians, we believe that we have a superior worldview, a superior uh, end answer, uh, a superior way to look at the, the world, to make sense of it. And, of course, we're, we're grounding everything on uh, what's revealed to us in Scripture as Christians because we want to live consistently and we want to tell other people uh, that we're living consistently, too. So mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're not uh, pretending that there's uh, this neutral ground that we can invite the non-believer on or that I can put my Bible down and argue um, in, in, in favor of a position where I'm completely unarmed um, because uh, I want to be truthful in, in what, where I'm coming from. So that's what Nancy Piercy is uh, uh, attempting to do with this book. Right. Right. So she gives us uh, five principles uh, with regard to especially um, uh, worldview analysis, right? That's Identify right. the idol is what she calls it. What is the ultimate reality for the particular worldview? And then she says, and this is what we'd be talking about this time, identify the reductionism, right, or the reduction. So she says each of the worldviews kind of reduces reality since they don't capture all of reality in their particular uh, ultimate reality, mm-hmm. right? They, they, so they reduce reality. And so we identify that. And then thirdly, uh, we test the idol. Right. We tested two ways. We tested. Does it contradict what we know about the world? So that's the first test. Right. Uh, So the fancy word for that is empirical adequacy. Right. Does Mm -hmm. it does it meet what our experience tells us? And then the second test is, does it um, uh, does it contradict itself? Right. Right. And so there's some is is there internal consistency with regard to the position? And then the final uh, principle is we kind of. uh, uh, show where Christianity is superior. Hit him with the gospel. That's right. Yeah. That kind of thing. So that's that's where she's going with these five principles. And we're on principle number two that has to do with, um, you know, the, the reductionism that happened. Identify the idol's right. reductionism. Right. right. So uh, uh, every worldview attempts to make claims about uh, mankind, humanity, which uh, in the Christian worldview is, is set apart, special, made in the image of God. And so... Uh, uh, by by taking man or or something within creation, elevating it to the status of of this this divine nature, this thing that is uh, supersedes all uh, other explanations, and that um, that is the source for uh, kind of all reality. Then um, then we're wanting to see how it kind of inverts the creator created uh, relationship, and so anything that's put in place of God will. Uh, reduce, uh, especially 
mankind uh, mm. uh, idea mm-hmm. of, of, of what it's interacting with. And mm. so as, as we go on, uh, it'll become more clear of, of where she's coming from. So <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully if, if we've done our job. Correctly. That's right. Uh, and so uh, she starts out by um, I, um, uh, giving the story of, of uh, from Harvard Divinity School from yeah, so, the sky. So let me just point out, uh, you know, all of her um, chapters start off with a story, which is kind of uh, to grab your attention, that sort of thing. So I think that's a that's a pretty good way to, to do things here. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's <clears throat> it's showing, uh, especially I I, I don't want to say it because I'm I'm overly blessed by the number of people in my life who have exposed me to uh, apologetics and that. You know, you can question, um, you know, are there contradictions in the Bible? And we did a book on that. Or, you know, uh, it, does, does science replace God? We did a book on that. And, <laughs> you know, does it account for morality? That was the second part of the book. Um, so uh, these, hopefully these things are more going away. And these open questions are allowing us to realize, oh, th- that there are indeed answers uh, for um, people who are questioning. So, yes, uh, all, all these all these chapters start out with a, a good story. Um Illustrating um, the principle that she's right. presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, this this person um, kind of uh, found Nietzsche in um, in college and especially in a, um, uh, a divinity school, mm-hmm. which is odd. And uh, he kind of got won over by Nietzsche. I mean, mm-hmm. Nietzsche is kind of the the classic uh, God is dead uh, guy. He's is the one that. Uh, um, Kind of has a uh, n- no no morals whatsoever. There's there's no moral standard um, uh, that that kind of uh, goes against what kind of all of history have have taught yeah, here so humanity. So we usually in some call sense. that a moral nihilist or yeah. a nihilist. Yeah. yeah. And so um, so he yeah, the, this this um, student uh, says that he was won over by by Nietzsche, but uh, instead of uh, questioning Nietzsche's atheism or nihilism. Um, he was ignoring Christianity's positive contributions, uh, which uh, uh, if you read God is Not Great by Hitchinson, um, he, uh, he, he does the same thing as well. Uh, he, he also discovered that many of the freedoms and human rights enjoyed in the West are fruits of its Christian heritage. Modern science is largely the product of biblically inspired concepts, laws of nature. The just war doctrine developed by medieval theologians did much to bring an end to unlimited slaughter, rape, looting, enslavement. There are a host of moral ideas from anti-slavery to women's rights have their roots in Christianity. And yes, we can find handfuls of examples of, of people living um, uh, uh, opposed to these principles as well or having disagreements within the church uh, on, on that, especially things like slavery is, is, is a big one. But to say that Christianity is this this awful thing that has you know downtrodden us for centuries, and we would be you know the the Ubermeister, the Ubermenscher, <laughs> the 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 Superman of our time, as as Nietzsche would call us. Um, if it wasn't for religion, um, it, it seems like what uh, what Nietzsche is doing is uh, supplanting man with this high ideal. Even though uh, it seems like any time that Nietzsche's principles are carried out. Uh, what happens is death, right. poverty, right. disease. So you know, it's not just, really high; it's just, really yeah. ends up low. Yeah. Right? It, it, it attempts to elevate few over mm-hmm. over the over the many. Right. So the the. The and her her says, criticism here is that uh, you know he wrote this paper in the Divinity School right. in in favor of Nietzsche, right? Nietzsche, 
And uh, and uh, the professor just gives him an A minus and says, good job. And, and he was afraid that he was going to get blasted by the professor. Right. right. And no, that's not that's not what happened. Right. right. He should have he, he should have he uh, challenged his ideas and said, uh, maybe there's something more to it. And the perfect example to engage in dialogue and utilize that if 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 those views speak strongly to you. Um, uh, view it as as kind of your your ground to to cover and and write papers and write books against it and try and defeat it and hone the the Christian message even more to speak to people who have those um, different types of of views and uh, we'll get into that uh, more later too. Uh, we always look back to Romans one. That's what uh, uh, Professor Piercy is trying to to point us to do to derive her her principles from. Right. So uh, the text repeats a poignant phrase that uh, God gave them up. Uh, he uh, repeats it uh, th- uh, three different times. The phrase doesn't mean he gives up on people, just the opposite. It means he tries to get through to them by allowing them to play out the negative consequences of their idolatrous choices. Um, and I would almost phrase this a different way. Mm. I, I would almost take this a, a, a different way, though, and say instead of tries, it, it seems like God, you know, fails at times, but I would say that he uses it for his glory. So yeah, good. It, there, yeah. there's, there's a way to, um, yes. To, so to the point it. she's trying to make here is that uh, in Romans one, it tells us that God gives people up to allow them to, um, uh, experience their, the negative consequences of the choices they make. Of, right? of replacing God with something that with, isn't God. With an idol. Right. Yeah, that sort of thing. And so God <laughs> allows them to do this, you know. And uh, it's, when I read this, it reminded me of the, uh, you know, the, the prodigal son. Mm. You know, here the prodigal son, uh, his father says, fine, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you your, your part of the inheritance. And he goes out and he... Uh, experiences the negative consequences <laughs> of his of his choices right. right and then after a while he comes to himself right and so that i think uh, that's kind of what what she's trying to point out here with this woman's one thing god gave them up uh, so that they could experience the negative consequences of their choices in hopes that we would suggest right that they would come to themselves and therefore uh you know uh, see the true and the living god as indeed the true and the living god right he says she says in the same way god gives up people so that they will perceive the harmful consequences of their idolatry right um Verse 26, to end the chapter, Romans 1 illustrates those consequences with a long list of destructive and self-destructive behavior. God uses these negative experiences to press people to the point of decision, right? Will they continue worshiping a counterfeit God that is destroying them, or will they repent and turn to the true God? Right. right. Yeah. So this is kind of removal of God's blessing or removal of, of some sort of uh, common grace blanket that uh, uh, all, all people, uh, regardless of, of belief uh, in God or not, uh, experience. Um, and so um, God, God seems to be uh, dealing with them in a manner that that is up to that person's uh, uh, choice of 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 where they're. Where their desires are, their yeah. desires are to not worship God, to to replace Him, and God essentially says, "Fine, go go live out in the wilderness, go live apart, and and see how that works out." And uh, the consequences are uh, 
are what's covered in the rest of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So God treats people as persons with uh, that are responsible for their choices. Right. So uh, we are to identify the idol's reductionism. So why do idols invariably lead to destructive behavior? Because they always lead to a lower view of human life. In Romans 1, the connection is captured by the word exchange. They exchange the glory of the immoral God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. When a worldview exchanges the creator for something in creation, it will also exchange a high view of humans made in God's image for a lower view of humans made in the image of something in creation. So uh, instead of having a proper role, proper understanding, um, there, there's a uh, supplant there. And so you can kind of view it as something like uh, driving the car. You have a person designated to, to drive the car. You have a person that's uh, designed to read the map and the, the two in the back to uh, uh, supply you with water and, and, <laughs> and snacks. And so if the map reader decides to take control of the wheel and the driver decides to have a snack in the front seat, then you get all sorts of topsy-turvy, almost literally, um, uh, repercussions because of that. So um, we, we, we want to identify who, who should be having what role. Right. So so this is principle number two. It's right. identify the idol's reductionism is what she's mm-hmm. getting to with us, right? Yeah. And so humans are not self-existent, self-sufficient, or self-defining. Uh, they did not create themselves. We are finite, dependent, uh, and, and as a result, we're always looking outside of ourselves for uh, our ultimate identity and meaning. Uh, they will define human nature by its relationship to the divine. However, they define divinity. So uh, we talked about the uh, last episode, uh, each, each uh, person has this overarching you know, uh, um, uh, explanation of, of where everything came from or uh, their ultimate explainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who do not identify and get their identity from the transcendent creator will get it from something in creation. So they will make an image of some God, Lord G. They create idols uh, eventually, and they become like them, is what the Bible tells us. In philosophical terms, this is called reductionism, the process of reducing a something from higher, more complex level of reality to a lower, simpler, less complex version. Right. So they reduce, uh, you know, um, uh, reality. They reduce uh, people, right, and that sort of thing because of their view of ultimate reality, because of their idol. So their idol forces them. Uh, since it doesn't capture all of reality, mm-hmm. right? Only God can do that. Uh, it forces them to reduce the things down to what their idol uh, is, is telling them it really does exist. Right. Right? right. So principle one gave us the first step in engaging any non-biblical worldview, identify the idol. And principle two here is to identify the reduction. When God gives people up to their idols, the result is always a reduction, reductionistic view of humanity, which ultimately unleashes harmful and destructive behavior. When we reduce people to anything less than fully human, we will treat them as as less than fully human. Mm. When we define God as something instead of uh, instead of a someone, we will tend to treat humans as something too. Mm. So uh, this again, uh, we're made in the image of God. We're representations of of Him uh, collectively and individually, and we're we're given that charge. We were we were made special. We were not made. Uh, 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 as animals, we were elevated above them and given dominion, and we had a special. We have a special relationship with God, and so um, if we mess we're persons, with persons, we're persons, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. We're human beings, <laughs> and so uh, you know that that that's it's it's all about having the correct understanding. When we don't, then 
so, something's off. And so mm-hmm. our our uh, goal here is to help us identify what that off thing is and to point it out to people by saying, hey, here's the result of it, here's the consequence of it, or Mm -hmm. here is an explanation that you're not viewing, or here's something you're adding to the explanation to fit as consistently as that person can within whatever worldview they subscribe to. Good. So this next section is called Dehumanize Thy Neighbor, right? (laughs) So she says uh, it may be easier to recognize reductions than by starting (laughs) on a personal level, right? In other words, how does it affect uh, persons? How does it affect people, right? How does it affect your neighbor, right? Consider the idols that many of us live for, you know, financial success, uh, economic payoff, all kinds of things, Um, you know, your relationship, maybe your physical appearance, whatever. Uh, She says, uh, an idol always leads to a reductionist attitude that dehumanizes others and justifies, notice this, using them for your own agenda. She Mm -hmm. says, idols do that, right? That's what they they, uh, end up doing. Um, so, and then she gives us some hints on how to uh, recognize this kind of reductionism when, when folks are, re- are writing or talking, right? She says reductionism is often signaled by the phrase, nothing but, right? So right. think of some examples here. Uh, uh, haven't we all heard people say that religion is, here it is, nothing but an expression of psychological need, right? So that's the, a projection of a father figure in the sky, right? A myth invented by primitive people to assuage fear and, and natural forces, fear of natural forces and that sort of thing. So she says in the typical college course or television science program, a reductionist theory of religion is simply assumed without argument. Religion is nothing but, and then they tell us they you know what yeah and, and it's, it's never a straw man it's always fully fleshed out it's exactly what christians have believed for <laughs> centuries there, there's no there's no single book that you can go to there's there's definitely no readings that you can go to now you you always have to uh to uh, say it's a magic sky fairy or you know flying spaghetti monster etc etc religion is nothing yeah. but she yeah. does the same thing with love right oh, haven't we all heard that love is really nothing but a product of chemical reactions, <laughs> yeah. right? Current theories in neuroscience convey the impression that love can be reduced to neur- neurotransmitters and circuits in the brain. So that's all love is, right? Love is nothing but these dar- these chemical reactions that are going on, you know, in our brain with regard to our neurons and the patterns and all that kind of stuff, right? So that's love is nothing but. Or she says, haven't we all met cynics who ins- uh, cynics who insist that morality is nothing but self-interest disguised, right? right? Yeah. So she says in the ancient Greek, the sophists argued that people do what serves their own advantage and afterward invent a moral code to justify their behavior. Right. So here's, you know, here's my self-interest. And so I'll make that part of my moral code. So it's nothing but our self-interest in disguise. Right. It claims that altruistic behavior, uh, evolutionary psychology is her next uh, thing that she suggests here. And she says it claims that altruistic behavior has been programmed into our genes by natural selection because of its survival values. So uh, altruistic behavior is nothing but a program of our genes. Right. Right. So Dawkins and God Delusion says that religion is nothing but an ability for groups of people at that time when forming religion was important to get them to a survived state. And so that's all religion is. Now, the fact that we still have religion and Dawkins wants to speak out against it seems to be that he's speaking out against uh, the wanting of the survival of humanity because, (laughs) you know, if it's still important to us or at least some of us, then we're still trying to survive with it. 
Good. Yeah, evolutionary psycho- uh, psychology then reduces all human behavior to uh, mask self-interest. Yeah. Right? So uh, right. jumping out and saving the the stranger uh, from from the bus that and and you possibly getting killed that that clearly means that you are wanting to uh, survive. Uh, That's right. Or, or something. Yeah. You, you you would did want, it in your own self-interest. Yeah. Some you kind would of want way. someone to do it to you, even though your life ends at that moment, and you don't. You have zero care about what happens uh, uh, after you're dead. So what what is what does it matter to to sacrifice your life? Right. And so she says, in practice, people often find ways to avoid the reductionist implications of their worldviews, right? But because humans are made in God's image, they often do treat others with dignity and respect, right? right. In other words, the, the reduction, you know, forces you to dehumanize people. But, of course, you know that's not right, right? Because you're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of forces you then to, to treat people with dignity and respect, although perhaps in your worldview or your reductionism or your your idol, idolized, um, you know, view of ultimate reality, it doesn't allow for that, right? The reductionism dehumanizes people. Though, so why don't, uh, you know, these folks treat people as their uh, theory suggests? Well, because they're made in the image of God and they know better, ultimately. They know better, right? So she says, um, uh, she says the problem is that non-biblical worldviews provide no logical basis for such altruistic behavior, right? And so uh, Richard Wartry, she quotes here, um, was revered as a philosopher of democracy, yet he wrote, I do not know how to justify or defend social democracy in a large philosophical way. Right. So he he admitted it. Right. He was acknowledging that he had no basis for his own highest ideals. Right. Right. So why should why should we treat people like this? Why should we allow for, uh, you know, um, society to exist and to have these high ideals in a particular uh, reductionist uh, uh, ideology? You wouldn't. But because, you know, uh, we're made in the image of God. We're kind of forced to. We, we can't right. avoid it, right. right? And that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so we, if if we wanted to be kind of uh, Spock-like, I guess, and mm-hmm. and turn off our our altruism uh, part of our our brain and just have a, uh, you know, the, the the trolley problem, and and uh, it's 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 much uh, easier to um, uh, save the four over the one. So you, you definitely flip the switch, and in in as a result, uh, end up taking part in a murder of of, of a person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, you really can't do that. And so that's that's why something like the trolley problem exists because there's so many dimensional factors to it that speak to uh, different parts of kind of the human condition that you could never you you, you can't get just get away by saying okay, that, but. We're not we're going to pretend we're not we're not like humans. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so she gives us a hint with regard to evangelism at the end of this section. Right. She says in evangelism, it can often be effective to walk people through the implications of their worldview to show that it provides no basis for their own highest moral and humanitarian ideals. Right. Right. So, you know, based on your worldview, we don't have any basis for, um, you know, treating people with dignity and respect. Right. Or at least some people. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Maybe the people that you have valued. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. It it seems like the people that uh, kind of believed in the eugenics uh, uh, movement of, of the uh, early, uh, you know, uh, 20s and 30s, uh, 
it's it's the people that spoke about eugenics that they wanted to save. There, there was never really anything about saving the the garbage worker or yeah. the, the post digger or <laughs> you know the the you know the the, the working lower man. It was always the high ideal people that would form the giant brain and the giant. So brain if you would, saved only those people who would dig who would <laughs> dig ditches I and mean, posts and you know, <laughs> let, let's not talk too much about that because then we'll we'll become uh, communistic in our in our nature. And, but we'll get to that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if 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 uh, if you read uh, before something like uh, Jason Lyles or Answers in Genesis um, writings, this is the whole um, answering a fool according to his standard, uh, and then um, you, you, there's a second part where you present obviously the gospel as well mm-hmm. to to answer to it. But this would be the uh, kind of show themselves in a mirror and see um, what the implications are. To, right. Right. Then the uh, yeah. Right. The emperor has no clothes. <laughs> uh, she goes on to say then that reductionism is the key to explaining why idols lead to immoral behavior, why Romans 1 ends with a list of destructive and self-destructive uh, behavior. Uh, when we dehumanize people in our thinking, we will eventually mistreat, oppress, abuse, and exploit them in our actions. Mm, mm, but yeah. can we scientifically prove this? Yeah, you know, is, yeah. is, is, there, is there something out there or are we just pointing to the Bible and saying, look, uh, this is what Romans 1 says. I don't care what experimentations have been done where it shows that 10 times out of 10, uh, the, the the mother monkey will save the tiger uh, cub uh, because uh, she, she wants the mom tiger to eventually um, help help her in survival. Uh, or uh, do we actually see what, what Romans 1 holds to? Well, uh, the Scientific America developed uh, a test to uh, practically um, show the consequences of holding the philosophy of things like materialism uh, with its corollary with the humans uh, that have no free will. So, right. so in a materialistic world, all that uh, that you see, touch, feel, taste, uh, the only things that are real are the things physical um, in, reality. In, in physical reality. Yeah, yeah. And, and one so, of those things so, can't be free will. Right. You're kind right. of determined by the flow of your... Uh, all the laws of nature yeah. and that sort of... Just like, you know, the laws of nature control, you know, what happens when I drop the pencil, right? right. The laws of nature also control us because yeah. we're physical beings. I mean, how else would we explain it, right, in a materialistic world? Right, right. right? You, you, you can't... You can't enter into any point and, and change that because it's just what you're. So there's no free physical, will. right? Yeah. yeah. So w- w- what do the results show? D- does does the belief in free will show that uh, uh, people will uh, act more uh, kind of altruistically or more honest because they have the ability to kind of do otherwise? That might not be the best, like you know, reform presuppositional take on free will, but <laughs> for, for the sake of argument, let's let's go with that. Uh, or uh, does believing in determinism, the fact that there, there's no free will, you, you can't choose anything other than what you've been programmed as a robot to do by the universe or the first cause or the com- expanding, contrasting you know, universe, um, you know, what do we see as a result of that? Well, we actually do see that that belief system impacts our moral behavior. Hmm. So one experiment. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> right. What, we believe what we believe affects what we do. Yeah. Right? If I don't believe that the truck will kill me, I'll walk out in front of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right. 
So one experiment involved a quiz uh, designed to make it easy to cheat and essentially a belief in free will uh, that uh, contradicts known facts the universe is governed. I'm sorry, that that, uh, that uh, uh, believing in determinism over free will. Uh, determinism groups whose members were encouraged to think that they had no capacity for moral choice and thus no moral responsibility were more likely to cheat. Hmm. By contrast, the free will group whose members were primed uh, to exert their moral will, as in don't cheat, don't cheat, don't cheat, you right. have the ability to not cheat, yeah. they were less likely to cheat. Go figure, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another experiment involving managing money, again, telling someone that they don't have the ability to do uh, to, to make up their own decisions, that they're products of random chance in a, in a chaotic universe that has no feeling and uh, there's, there's nothing beyond... Uh, what you're experiencing now. So grab all it is. Guess what? They were more likely to steal money <laughs> than those who were told that they have the ability to do otherwise. Yeah. And so uh, the, 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 that um, believing free will is just an illusion tends to have negative consequences or what I guess you could consider negative consequences depending on where you stand. Um, uh, you know, you don't want people to steal money. It doesn't seem very altruistic. And so um, having a a more biblical understanding of choices that humans are able to make. Uh, again, not touching the whole free will versus determinism here uh, seems to have a a, um, a determination on 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 what happens. Uh, so uh, one real point that that she she makes here is that when a person accepts materialism as a life philosophy, it's Effects do not stay neatly contained within the mental realm. Mm. It leads to destructive personal behavior and harmful public consequences. And she covers this really well in um, uh, Love Thy Body mm -hmm. uh, on especially the abortion chapter. So mm. I would encourage you to check out. So your worldview affects how you treat others, yeah. which – I mean, the, the whole Christian message is, yeah. uh, you know, love other, or love God and love others. Uh, those are the two greatest commandments. Right. That, that's that's half of our belief system yeah. right there. And yeah. so um, that that's uh, that's the result of of su supplanting a creator for the creation. We devalued humans. Right. Yeah. So in this next session, she wonders, you know, given the uh, negative consequences of reductionist worldview, uh, why would anyone adopt it? Right? Right. That's, what's yeah. the appeal to if it? It all right? just lends to chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and so she says, Paul gives us a clue, right, in, in Romans 1, right? And the idea here is that the, um, you know, now uh, Paul, Paul argues the existence of beings with the capacity to reason, love, plan, and choose is evidence that the first cause that created them must have at least the same capacities, right? The cause must be sufficient to produce the effect, the origin of personal beings is best explained by a personal being, right? right? That's the idea. So how do sinful fallen uh, humans uh, seek to avoid this conclusion in their whatever their, uh, you know, their, what their idol tells them? Well, Paul says that they suppress the truth, and we've already kind of seen this, right. right? That's what they do. That's what reductionism accomplishes. So reductionism, we might say, is a truth suppression method, right? <laughs> it allows us to suppress the truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. It denies one or more dimensions of human nature so that the evidence from human nature no longer points as clearly to the biblical God. And whew, I can breathe a sigh of relief right. because now I don't have to, you know, deal with God. Yeah. Right? So, th so think about if, if, if you want to talk about how does the, how does the sun move around the earth? And you say, well, I, I know how it moves during the daytime, 
So I'm only going to choose the parts when I see the sun, and I'm going to completely throw out all the all, all the times where we don't see the sun. Hmm. Well, okay, but that's a, that's a big part of the equation, <laughs> and so we're reducing kind of the known elements of, of, of what we should be wanting to explain by coming up with this all-encompassing worldview uh, and, and, and again, supplanting Christianity as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a kind of a tell-all, uh, you know, what we should all live by. Uh, you know, so if we do that, we're, we're, we're undercutting um, our, our, our own method as well as kind of the, our truth statements when we say the world is like this. Right. The, the sun never sets <laughs> if you throw out the times where the sun does set. Right, right. So we, we've reduced the world to something like this, right? And so she gives us a couple of metaphors here to help us to, to see this, right? The first one has to do with a box. She says if reductionism is like, is like trying to stuff all of reality into a box, right? Uh, we could say that the problem is that the box is always too small, right? And so idols deify some part of the created order, but no matter which part they choose, a part is always kind of sticking out of the box, right? It's uh, a part is always too limited to, to explain the whole. The universe is too complicated, and so we have stuff sticking out of the box. Yeah. So right? uh, <clears throat> Daffy Duck or Three Stooges, you could imagine them trying to stuff something in the box and it always spilling out, and yeah. they finally get the lid on, <clears throat> and they let it go, and then they look away, and it all spills out again. <laughs> so if your worldview does not account for the stuff that's sticking out of the box, if it only accounts <laughs> for the stuff that's in the box— what do you do with the stuff that's sticking out of the yeah. box? Well, what she tells us is they eliminate it. Yeah, cut it off. That's right. It really doesn't exist, <laughs> right? She says uh, they eliminate those dimensions of reality that would falsify their worldview. And she says you can make any worldview appear successful uh, simply by denying anything that does not fit in the box, right? So you cut it off, you get rid of it, and um, and there you have it, right? So you're you're you are able to hold on to your worldview. She gives us another metaphor to help us with this, right? She says to switch metaphors, philosophers sometimes picture the dichotomy using the image of two store a two story building. Right. So you have the upper and the lower story. Reductionists try to live in only one story. For example, materialists try to live strictly in the lower story of the building, the material universe. They treat matter and energy as the only things that are real, knowable and objectively true. The upper story, then, she says, becomes a sort of attic where they toss (laughs) all the stuff that doesn't fit into their materialistic worldview. Right. The soul, the spirit, the mind, morality, freedom, God, all those things. Types of things are just thrown yeah. in the upper story in the attic, right. and we kind of eliminate those. Yeah. We ignore those, explain them away, and that kind of stuff. Christmas tree, the, yes. the exercise bike, <laughs> yeah, right. And so uh, she says, um, she says we need to know how widespread this reductionism is. Uh, uh, there are many different idols, so there are many forms of reductionism, right? Mm-hmm. And so. How in the world do we kind of deal with all of these forms of reductionism, all of these idols and that sort of thing? And so she says, because it's easier to identify the dehumanization uh, impact when worldviews are developed to their most logical conclusions, she wants to consider kind of six scenarios, right, or six ways to, to kind of look at this. So she wants to consider two philosophical worldviews, materialism and, and um and postmodernism. She wants to consider two religions, pantheism and Islam, and she wants us to consider two political theories, right? 
um, which would be um, Nazism and communism. That's right. Yeah. The so fun that, ones. Yeah. So yeah. that's what she's going to spend now the rest of the chapter looking at, right. applying this reductionistic idea to these various worldviews so that she can illustrate how they um, how they re- the reductionism takes place and how things are eliminated right. and the result then of this particular reductionism. Right. Right? So we've got our principle. Right. Uh, we're going to give you a week to go over this again. Uh, again, uh, our, our videos are broken down to, uh, to smaller sections so you can share them or go over the little part, uh, again, that maybe is more of focus to you. Um, and uh, feel free to share those out, of course, and um, follow us on Facebook and all the, all the fun things that you know now to do on, on YouTube. Um, and come back next week and we'll go over at least uh, the, the first two, if not the, all, all six uh, uh, portions here. And uh, we'll uh, figure out where everyone is reducing humanity from. <laughs> so yeah. thanks for joining us, and we'll Thank see you, you next week. See you next week.